Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gun and Blog. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, the Arscast Extra today brought to you in association with our friends at deskbeers.com. You look for beer, they give you the beer, deliver it to you. Check out deskbeers.com. We'll give you more details and a discount code a bit later on in the show. Uh, James, how was your weekend? It was very good, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. From a football point of view, there was yeah. quite a lot of hilarity because we got the win on the Saturday and then could sit back and enjoy the, the, the Stephen Gerrard show on Sunday. That was, I have to say, one of the funniest things I've seen this season, if mm. not last season too. <laughs> yeah, well, it is, a, it is an annual affair, um, seeing how he'll screw Liverpool's season up. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. No, I almost enjoyed Chelsea too, but unfortunately got that bit of luck at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, but you know that's that's inevitable. You know, after such a, a vicious campaign against them, I think you know the the authorities they they just gave them a little bit of a, a biscuit there, a footballing biscuit at the mm. end by making that goal go in. You see, yeah, well, it wasn't a nice biscuit from my perspective. No, it was like. And when I say nice biscuit, I don't mean the type of biscuit that says nice on it. Do you know the ones that I mean? Yeah, they're they're called nice, right? Okay, or nice, I guess, ah, because they originate from a small town just outside Dundalk, right? Called nice. Okay, it's uh, it's the Irish Riviera. Sounds beautiful. It really is. It really is. Anyway, biscuits <laughs> aside, that was a bit of a disappointment. It but yeah, Gerard. I mean, what was going on there? I think you know. Overhyped. That's the type of leadership we need. Much as I don't like to agree with anything Jamie Carragher says, particularly the way he says it, because have you noticed this very deliberate way he has of speaking now, Jamie Carragher? I haven't. haven't. What do you mean? What's going on? He just kind of goes, the thing is, and... (laughs) It's like someone has sat him down and said, compose your thoughts... Right. And say the things very deliberately. And I think, you know, he's obviously trying to cut out the kind of and 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 all those kind of things that, that go on. But it, it's it's when you notice it, you can't not notice it. Oh, God. Well, that's it now. I'm cursed yeah. to notice it forever. So Thank watch it. Watch gift. it next time. But um, I think, he, you know, he's he's kind of right in the sense when he talked about Gerard being a bit too fired up for it because he'd been on the bench and Liverpool were playing crap in the first half and he came on, the first thing he did was absolutely steam into a tackle 
Um, I, I think he just worked himself up into a, into a place where he forgot that he was a 35-year-old, very experienced footballer and was the the 17-year-old with the low brow who jumped in on people two-footed. Mm. Mm. Well, Which is bad. great for us. It was, I mean, look, it was, it was bad for them, funny for us. Um, what does he think it means in terms of the league table? Do you have any sort of preference about who won that game? Did I was kind of hoping for a draw just for the, you know, just to create a gap between both of us, uh, between us and both Manchester United and Liverpool. But yeah. I think what it means is that if we beat Liverpool in our next game, that gives us a nine-point lead over them uh. with seven games to go. So that would put us in a very good position to finish at least in the top four. So from that point of view, I guess you, you're, you've got to be happy that there's a gap starting to appear um, between us and, and other teams, no? Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, that's the sort of pragmatic way to look at it. Mm. I mean, ultimately, um, I, I wanted them both to lose. I know, and it's difficult to achieve that outcome, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, But, uh... <laughs> That's what we all would have liked to see. Yeah. But yeah, it'd be quite nice if we can sort of bury them a bit next week. I'd enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm after. no great preference over whether Liverpool or Manchester United finish in the top four behind us. I don't really care who finishes behind us once we finish, you know, in that top three um, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit higher, depending on uh, how far our momentum can take us. But, um, you know, I think you've got to be thankful that there is a gap now. Um, and that's something we can look to exploit. Whether it'll uh, fire up Liverpool when they come to us in a couple of weeks' time, we'll have to wait and see, but we'll we'll touch on that closer to the time, will we? We will. Now, on to... What's that other team? Arsenal. Oh, yeah, them, yeah. yeah. They're they played, right. didn't they? Yeah, yeah. good result. I thought so, yeah, if we won. I, I mean, that's never an easy game, is it, Newcastle? No, no I mean. and I think... You know, perhaps the frustration with the, the second half performance. I mean, I understand it to a to a certain extent because after the first half, you'd look for us to control the game and not do anything silly, like concede early in the second half. But you know, I think in in the overall context of the last number of games that we've played, if you said to people, "You'll go to Old Trafford and win," you'll go to Monaco and win, and nearly get yourselves through to the to the Champions League quarterfinals, and then you'll follow that up with a trip to St James's Park and win people would have bitten your hand off for those results. So, you know, away games are always a little bit tougher. Away games in Europe, I mean, you can remember well enough that, uh, you know, the, the great Arsenal teams, the ones with Vieira and Perez and Bergkamp and Henri and, uh, and all these fantastic players who did amazing mm. things, often struggled when they came back from an away trip in Europe to play on a Saturday in particular. You know, sometimes you might have a Sunday game it gives you the extra day to recover. But I can remember countless times where we had results following away European games where we, you know, we were disappointed. So, yeah, definitely. So for us to go to Newcastle uh, and win the game, take three points, might have been a bit uncomfortable, but you really just can't. You just can't argue with the result. No, I mean, what you said I think on Twitter that you were a bit surprised at some of the reactions at full time were a lot of people sort of chipping off at you about the game or yeah the second half performance it was like oh that's you know it's not good enough we you know if we keep you know playing like that etc cetera, etc cetera. you know which i understand i do i mean i do get that the second half was not 
particularly comfortable viewing. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't what we had all hoped. I thought we might go on and, and maybe score another goal and then just see the game out. I thought we, in, in the early stages of the second half, made the mistake of thinking that Newcastle couldn't hurt us. Because of the way we played in the first half, there wasn't the same intensity. I think if you look at how the Newcastle goal comes about, it's a bit half-hearted from the Arsenal team. Over I, everybody, I so. yeah, yeah. You know, the defending wasn't great. The you know the tracking wasn't great, and they exploited that, and thus made it difficult for ourselves. And I think the minute that goal went in, it was like, oh. Oh, fuck, we're tired. <laughs> this yeah. is going to be, oh, my legs feel really tired now after all those away games and traveling and everything. So I think that, you know, had a psychological impact on them, obviously, because it lifted them and a psychological impact on us in that it, it kind of knackered us out immediately. Definitely. I mean, you can you can never say Arsenal are out of sight at St. James's Park after what's happened there in the past, but should we have been further ahead by half-time? Yeah, I think so. I think there were chances. Danny Welbeck in particular, two two really good chances. One where he volleyed wide, and there was yeah. another one where Alexis played a, a beautiful ball into him, got him in behind the defence, and his first touch, he kind of left the ball behind. And, mm. you know, I like Welbeck, and uh, he's, he works really hard, but I think this is an area where he's got to... He's got to improve. People say, look, he's playing out wide. That's why he's not scoring as many goals. But the fact is he had two great chances to score against Newcastle and didn't. So, I mean, that's something that he, he's got to look at and, and work on. Yeah, definitely. There was another one for Ramsey as well, where he kind of miscued his attempts when he mm. went through. So I think, you know, we could have been more comfortable at half time, and that would have made the second half much more bearable. It seems we're, we're enjoying these two ones at the moment. There's been an awful lot of them. Do you think? Do you think the fact that there have been an awful lot of them is what enabled us to to see it out yet again? Because I suppose if we look at it from a different context, it wasn't a very good attacking performance, but it was a pretty good defensive performance, maybe based on um, having practice in this very situation. I thought, you know, they had two two chances, really. One that Ospina saved, the flick header from Sissoko, yeah. and the one he saved with his legs, I would have been very disappointed if he hadn't saved that anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there was a shot that curled just wide. But uh, apart from that, I thought our defence was really good, particularly the two centre-halves, and particularly uh, Gabriel. I thought he played very, very well. So is there something to be taken from the game... Um, from a defensive point of view, that this is good practice for a defence. Maybe, yeah, I think so. I mean, especially when you consider that uh, Mertzaka wasn't playing, Bellerin wasn't playing. I thought that they all acquitted themselves fairly well, and as a unit, they performed well. I think Cochrane in the first half was excellent too mm. in front of them. Faded a little bit in the second, but I think that's understandable when your face keeps exploding. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, Giroud seems to be involved in a number of them because the first one he headed the back of Giroud's head, didn't he? And that was what you yeah. know that was what smashed his nose in that game against uh, against Everton. And then yesterday or on Saturday, I think Giroud was involved in a he kind of pushed a guy away, and his arm went flailing into into Coquelin's beak and. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's really taking some punishment. That poor old nose. Maybe he's so determined to cement his position as Arsenal's most handsome player that he's just going around destroying the faces of his teammates. Yeah, I don't think Coquelin's going to take that title off him anyway. I'd say, yeah, he's targeted the wrong man, hasn't he? Yeah, you know, and I'm not saying Coquelin's not a 
you know, he's not un- unpleasant to look at. Although there, there was a there was a picture on the official website there last week where they did a Coquelin article, and uh, I think it could be at the Man City away game or whatever moment the um, the the camera has caught him in mid-expression. He's either going from you know nothing to very happy or whatever. He looks like he <laughs> he might be an extra from the Lord of the Rings. Right. From, from the whole Mordor uh, end of things. It's a, just a really bizarre picture of, of Coquelin, who's not a bad-looking lad at all, but this this one doesn't suit him. If I was I'll him... I'd have to check it out. It would be... You know that picture Beyonce really wanted everyone to not publish? Yeah. Yeah, this, would, this, this is his Beyonce moment. Okay. Okay. Well, we've all had them. There was me in my tracksuit last week. Let's not very, forget. Very true. Very true. Uh, but anyway, no, I thought he played well. I thought... Uh, yeah, I thought Gabriel did well as well. I think it's a massive boost to the squad to have, you know, three centre-backs who it seems can interchange relatively easily. And I thought it was a very, without wanting to resort to too many cliches, a very English encounter. Yeah. A very typical Premier League game. And he coped with the physicality of that and the pressure remarkably well for someone who's only played a handful of games for the club. Yeah, I agree with that. There was a moment where he was seeing the ball out of play um, shepherding the ball out, he got pushed in the back, and the referee gave a corner. Um, yeah, that was crazy. That yeah. was bizarre. And, and the referee, um, on the one hand, you know, there were moments where I thought he could have perhaps taken the card out. But on the other, are cards not given a bit too easily? Should the game not be a bit physical at times? What, what was your take on, on the referee? I thought he was all right, you know. I thought there were a couple of incidents where, like you, he might have gone for a yellow. But I thought generally, unless I'm forgetting any major aberrations, which it seems there's at least one in every every game at the moment, I thought he was decent enough. I mean, did you watch the Classico last night? Yes, yeah. I mean, that was crazy because it felt like there was a yellow card every five minutes in that game. Yeah, every time there was another foul, I was going, oh, there's got to be somebody who's already been booked. In yeah. the second half in particular, I was going, ah, there's got to be somebody who's been booked already. He just booked everyone. Practically. It was crazy. It was like, by the, it was like ta- I mean, I don't know if it's tactical, but it felt like by the end of the game, everyone had a yellow card. And it felt almost like every foul equated to a yellow card. And I don't think that's the way it should be. So mm. I don't mind seeing a few go without a booking. Yeah, I think in that situation the referee was probably trying to set a, a precedent. set a standard. Yeah, so look this will get you a yellow card so don't do that. But I mean it's not helped of course by the fact that the players are absolute wankers in this game. More than any other game that you ever watch. Yeah. The 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 level of cheating is higher than the level of talent. On the pitch, which is an incredible thing to say when you've got players like uh, uh, Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, uh, Suarez. You know, the, the the best part for me was when Suarez pretended to be kicked by Pepe and got Pepe booked. And then he kicked Pepe and also got booked, but stood there outraged that such a thing could happen to him. Why should he be booked for... Oh, it's just ridiculous. He committed a foul and got a yellow card and cheated to get the other guy a yellow card and he's complaining about it these but i mean they're ridiculous do you think it's the pressure of that game that that they will go to any means possible to to win it to get an advantage because they're all at it maybe i mean what's bizarre about it is that they are some of the most gifted footballers in the world beyond any doubt but it's their uh, my friend tom langridge said that they're great to watch but hard to love and i think that's true like mm. They are so they behave like toddlers. 
these incredibly <laughs> gifted toddlers. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's to do with the pressure because I think they do that in, you know, in, in Champions League and other games too. Yeah, I don't think it has quite the same... No, the same needle, the same extent. Yeah, you know, because everybody's trying to get everybody else sent off. Like the Mascherano thing... Yeah, that was bizarre. <laughs> I mean, just ridiculous. And then he's standing there 30 seconds later laughing about it with Ronaldo. I mean, the players know themselves, but by the same token, you know, it would be nice if they could just not be such cunts for just a little while. Maybe 90 minutes, perhaps, they could try that. <laughs> I think that'd be a bit of a stretch. Mm. Um, but yes, it must be difficult to referee, as as was... as our, you know, all these Premier League games, that, you know, this is a very banal point I'm making. Basically, I thought the referee was fine. Right. Well, we went a roundabout way of, of getting yeah, there. Yeah, we got there in the we end. We got there in the end. Um, final point for this half, and, uh, you know, here we go again, but uh, Mesut Ozil was absent from the team on right. uh, Saturday through illness. Alexis Sanchez was clearly knackered, and Theo Walcott still couldn't get a start. Um, since we last spoke, there's news that his contract talks are on hold until the summer. Um, I mean, the thing we have to realize, of course, is that f- when players talk, for example, about how they just want to concentrate on their football, they don't want to think about a contract, they've got fuck all to do with a contract other than go in and sign it when it's ready. Um, so what what do we make of this Walcott situation? Is it becoming more and more a thing? I mean, there was certainly no way you could put him on in that second half. No, I mean, I saw some calls for him to come on on Twitter, I guess in part due to the wayward finishing of Welbeck. But it, it wasn't a game that I would introduce him in. I, I think it, you know, it was clearly one where we were holding on to a lead and I just don't think he's particularly suited to that scenario. Mm. I think that's one of the problems with Walcott is that the more you look at it, and I, I know Tim Stillman's written about this in his column for Ask Blog, he, he's actually only useful in quite a specific set of circumstances. He's not that handy against a defence who sit deep and look to frustrate you because he hasn't got the kind of technical skill to, to break that kind of defence down. He's not that handy when you're trying to see out a game and protect a lead. There are only very few type of games in which Arsene seems to think he's the right man for the job. Mm. All of that said, I do now think that his continued uh, residence on the substitutes bench is related to his contract talks. I think it's more than a a tactical decision now. Mm. I think it's it, it seems that... Because we saw this last time as well. I know we've mentioned this in the past, but last time talks were happening, there was a period where there was stasis in the negotiations and Walcott was pretty much out of the team until injuries and his good form forced him in. And I think that's what we're looking at at the moment. I think that... Uh, you know, he, he's his place in the pecking order is definitely related to what's going on with his his contract situation. I mean, do you think that, or do you think I'm being conspiratorial? No, I do. I think that, to be honest, I think that stuff has gone on. You know, p- particularly when you look at the comments that Arsene Wenger made about we'll contact the embassy and we'll see how things go politically. You know, I think there's there's something going on here that Arsene Wenger isn't particularly happy about. Um, I think also. Our need for Theo Walcott is not as great as it once was from a footballing point of view. Mm. And I think results bear that out. When you look at the, the amount of uh, games we've won in the last um, last number of months, we've had some disappointing uh, defeats, but I think we've won 
21 games of our last 25 or 20 from our last 25, something like that. So it's not as if we're in huge need of what he can bring to the team. There are circumstances where it will be handy. And I think between now and the end of the season, he will be a a useful asset for us. But I think overall, the manager is now in a position where he doesn't need to, I won't say be dictated to, but certainly the last time Walcott was in this situation, Arsenal, the Arsenal squad was not as well placed to cope as it is now. And I think that that is something that... That's uh, being reflected by Theo's time on the bench. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the manager's stupid enough to write him off completely. At the end of the day, he's still being named on the substitutes bench. If a situation arises where we need him, he will come on. Mm. But I don't think... I don't expect him to see him starting too many games between now and the end of the season unless there's a significant breakthrough in those negotiations. And I don't know what that would have to be. That's what I'm not sure about. I don't know what the club expect if they you know want Walcott to yeah sign on the same terms on reduced terms I don't know mm. um well nothing but- is going to happen because the talks are on hold so I guess it's just something that's going to be resolved in the summer maybe I mean I can only think that that decision for them to be on hold has come from the player I can't imagine that benefits the club unless they've already made their mind up that they want to sell him mm. anyway we'll see what happens We'll see what happens. We'll uh, see. Like you, I'm I do sure think we'll talk about it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think there are going to be moments when he's he's going to be used. He's going to get starts, uh, and I hope that um, when he does, he performs to a level that he gives Arsene Wenger something to think about. I mean, that would that would be the ideal situation from an Arsenal fan point of view because um, you know he does have c- certain qualities which can be very useful in in games. So um, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But look, we'll take a short break here, and we're going to come back with some of your questions in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra, brought to you this week in association with deskbeers.com. Available across mainland UK. Go visit their website, deskbeers.com. Order some beer, and they then will deliver the beer to your very desk or house or igloo, wherever you might live. They might even deliver uh, desk beers to you, James, sitting outside the Emirates in a tracksuit. Wow. Sterling service. It is. Generous. Don't be put, put off by the word desk. Yeah. You don't need a desk. You could be, like me, a vagrant, just sat on a laptop in the street. Mm-hmm. Or you could use any kind of tabletop um, you like. Not necessarily a desk. Um, a wardrobe. A really small wardrobe. A bureau, perhaps. What about one of those trables? You know, like the tray, the cushioned trays. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, they could deliver beer to that, too. Oh, that's good. They're I've pretty versatile. And if you want to get 10% off your first order, just go to Arscast 10 no, just and if you want to get ten fuck that. And if you want to get ten percent off your first order, just use the code Arscast ten at checkout. Thank goodness this is not live. Um so go to deskbeers.com, use the code Arscast ten at checkout and get ten percent off your first order and enjoy the beer. Right. Question time. Your question, okay. you can go first. All right, okay. Well, this question is from Jay, who is at Frisco's Discos 1. And we touched on it in the previous part, but he says, Is Welbeck proving his critics right? Wasn't good enough for United, and he's showing us why. It's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I think you can say that, for sure. That there are 
that he could be doing better. He should be doing better. Um, you know, he should have more goals because I think he's a talented player. But his finishing is a bit iffy. Mm. You know, there was that brilliant night against Galatasaray where, you know, he played absolutely out of his skin. He was fantastic. Now, I know they were shite, but still, the finishes and the movement and the pace and the power that he showed for the goals was really excellent. And he has scored some some decent goals for us. I think there was a really good goal at, um, was it West Ham away? Yeah. A thumping kind of leaping header. Um, uh, Swansea, yeah. Was it Swansea? West Ham, he sort of toe-pokes it in from a low cross. Right. But Swansea, he it was, was the header, yeah. Oh, we lost that game, didn't we? Hmm. Uh, oh no, not Swansea. I'm West Brom, West Brom, West Brom, West Brom. Okay, I think um, yeah, that's I got a West in it, so you were close. I yeah, um, but look, you know, how many goals has he got? Ten, maybe nine or ten. Um, Eight, I think yeah, a good goal against United at Old Trafford. Um, I think he can do better. I think he can do better. I think there's room for improvement. And, you know, I, I kind of prefer our squad with him in it than him not being in it. So, yeah. from that point of view, I'm, I'm happy enough to give him more time. I'm not going not gonna to write him off by saying he's not good enough yet. I think, like, it's one thing to say he should do better, but I think the question is, do you think he, he can do better? And it, mm-hmm. sounds like, it sounds like you're saying you think he has the potential, at least, to yeah. offer more. Yeah. What do you think? I think so, too. I think that his finishing is not great, to be honest. And I think that when he scored those goals at the start of the season, I know people say, well, it shouldn't matter if you're playing on the wing or up front, but I think he was imbued with a confidence about being the main man and he was playing at number nine and he was you know, scoring goals for England. And I think he was just on a real high at that period of the season. Mm. And I think playing wide... He's very useful there. I mean, you can see why United played him wide so much because he offers so much in terms of defensive cover and movement and interchanging with other players. But I do think that his confidence isn't what it was back in September. Uh, You know, if you think about his debut for Arsenal trying that chip against Manchester City, I'm not sure I could see him even going for that sort of thing currently. And I do think that, yeah, Olivier Giroud's dominance in the centre-forward role might have impinged upon his his self-belief in front of goal a little that's not really an excuse I mean that shouldn't that shouldn't justify that fact I just think that may be what's happened Mm. because I don't see a bad footballer in Welbeck like I see someone who who moves very intelligently whose touch can be very good it's a little bit erratic but who seems technically quite sound and I like watching him play because in the Newcastle game, there was that one moment where he picked up the ball in the left wing and sort of knocked it 20 yards in front of him, raced around to get there. Yeah, We don't have too many players in the squad with that kind of raw athleticism and it's always exciting to see that. I think his finishing does need to improve. He probably should have scored twice against Newcastle and I think he, would, he must know that. Mm. But I think he can do it, yeah. I mm. think that he's definitely worth persisting with because I just think in terms of what he offers the team... It's such a massive contribution. Um, And I was struck against Newcastle by how often you see him basically right back alongside his fullback. And in terms of the sheer ground he covers, I think it's pretty impressive. So, And I think Arsene Wenger recognises that and that's why he keeps picking him, to be honest. Yeah, all right. Um, Jury's still out, but uh, time for him to to improve. Yeah, I think so. All right. Okay, this one comes from Manny. 
at Mansurotics. And he wants to know, does Debushi get back in the first team when he's fit again, considering Bellerin's form? Uh, I think he does, to be honest. And I, there's two reasons for that. One is just the benefit of his, of his experience. I think that could be useful in some of the big games we've got coming up. But second of all, Bellerin is still a really young player. And I think you have to be careful to not overplay players when they're at that age. And I think he will benefit from coming out the side. What that means going forward into next season, I don't know. But I think that Debussy will re-establish himself sort of between now and the end of the season. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Also because I'm not necessarily convinced that that's Callum Chambers' best position. Mm. And I think two right backs will play. But me, I think two right backs will play between now and and May, but I expect Debussy to be first choice. What do you think? Uh, I, I think when it comes to the business end of the season, the, the manager's always going to err on the side of experience. I think Debussy's a, a, a good player. I really like Bellerin. I like the way he's developed over this season. I think it's one of the, the good stories that we, we can take from this season because his, his debut uh, away at uh, Dortmund was difficult. Now, he wasn't the only one who had a difficult night, but I think what's been apparent in almost every game since is that he, he he's learning from his performances he's like a some kind of sentient being you know <laughs> like a, a, a super terminator type thing who learns when things go wrong and they you know then becomes all-powerful and omnipotent and clearly Bellerin will be our god in uh, a number of years time but um no I think he, his improvement has been really excellent and it's good to see a young player come in take a chance and and do as well as he's done. But I think also that when it comes down to the final games of the season, maybe uh, cup semi-finals, um, you know, big important games against uh, against teams like Chelsea, like uh, Manchester United, I wouldn't have any fear of playing Bellerin in those games. I just think that the manager will go for for the more experienced man. Me too. Uh, uh, but I don't on. know about our God, but I think. Bellerin will be our long-term right-back, actually. Mm. I think he's got all the potential, you know, and if you look at the competition within the club in terms of Chambers and Jenkinson, I definitely think he's got the edge over them. So I think he's got a great chance to establish himself 
in the future. Mm. What did you make of Callum Chambers against Newcastle? I, I think he had some difficult moments in the game which kind of skewed people's view of his performance. Um, from a defensive point of view, he, he you know his stats were pretty good. He won you know, 9 of 12 tackles, won a lot of aerial balls, didn't use the ball as well as he could have when he got forward with it. Particularly on halfway, that was a little bit worrying for me, the way he you know made the wrong decision two or three times. But, you know, I don't think he did as badly as some people are saying. No. I mean, apparently he won the ball uh, more than any other Arsenal player right. on the field. So I think that, that speaks for him. I, I didn't think he was particularly good or bad, really. I thought he was solid enough. He was up against quite a tricky player. I know Sammy Amiobi looks like he should be rubbish at football. Um but apparently his his stats for dribbling and take-ons are some of the highest in the league. Mm. Like he's actually a real threat on the ball. And he's much quicker than Chambers. So I thought, considering that, he did pretty well. And tidy enough in possession, as he always is. Uh, I think, you know, he, he could improve going forward, certainly. But I thought he was decent. I was doing player ratings for ESPN, and I yeah. think I gave him a, a six or a seven. You know, nothing remarkable in either direction, to be honest. Right. Sammy um, Amiobi's a good kind of... Um rhyming name isn't it it's a really good name like joey Bobaloni, something like that <laughs> yeah exactly i think his, his parents definitely deserve credit for for that for that gift to us all mm. all right uh, another question another question okay well this one comes from jane cavendish she's jcav90 on twitter and she asks how often do athletes with mostly type 2 muscle fibers grow out of their injury problems in their mid-20s I don't know. Okay, your question. Right. Uh, okay, this one comes from uh, Vesa Keski Pukila. Okay. Yeah. Right, that's difficult. I should have just done his uh, Twitter name, which is Vesa underscore KP. And he <laughs> says, has Gabriel done enough to take BFG's place alongside Koscielny, or will he have to wait till next season? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? <sighs> Do you think, um, sorry to just completely avoid the question. Not at all. <laughs> uh, but do you think that playing with Gabriel, does it give us something that playing with Mertesacker doesn't? Having someone who's got that recovery speed, does it allow us to set up in a way that having Mertesacker in the team does not? Maybe we, you know, it would allow us to play a higher line because we'd have some serious pace in the back four. If you think that Bellerin is super quick, Gabriel's pretty quick, Koscielny is quick, two fullbacks, Monreal and Gibbs not slow coaches by any means. So, yeah, I mean, it would allow us, if we really wanted to, to play um, to play a higher line, which yeah. has kind of been our downfall, though. <laughs> so it's, you'd wonder about that or, or wonder whether that's, uh, whether that's the right thing. I think it basically comes back to if that's what Arsene envisages and intends and wants, you know, it's something he had done in the past and if it's something he wants to go back to, and he's obviously got to do that with Gabriel rather than Mertesacker. I think um, I think it's a little bit like the Debussy thing. I think between now and the end of the season, I expect Mertesacker to remain the kind of de facto first choice. I think his experience of English football, his significance to the team as captain, I think, you know, even when Arteta comes back, if he's back by the end of the season, I don't expect him to play all that many games because I think Coquelin's impressing in that role. So I think... Mertzaka will get the nod on most occasions. I think in the summer, 
a bit like with the Bellerin situation, it might be up for review. I think Gabriel looks really encouraging and really promising and looks as if mm. he could form a partnership with Laurent Koscielny that could be of more benefit moving forward. Mm. What do you think? I know you're a big Mertzaka fan. Yeah, but I, I liked Gabriel. I'm, I'm reluctant to say that I really like him because every time I like a centre-half at Arsenal, you know, they tend to... <laughs> well, we, we all remember Senderos. <laughs> we all do. Um, no, I, I thought he was... Like you, I was impressed by the way he withstood the, the Englishness of the game uh, uh, at Newcastle. Um, I liked as well that he he looked like he wanted to do things with the ball. And there was, a, there was one moment, I think, in the second half where he was looking around desperately for, for somebody to give him something. And he just had to clump it forward. But I liked that he was looking to do something. But, you know, from a defensive point of view, he won headers, he won tackles, he made interceptions. There was a great block if I recall correctly, maybe in the first couple of minutes of the game as well, Mm. uh, from a shot inside our box where he threw himself in front of the ball. So there was a lot to like about his performance. But I think what what tends to happen when some somebody does that or when a new player comes in and does well is that everyone likes the fresh, shiny, new thing. And it's like, oh, well, great, we don't need that other thing anymore because this nice new one is here. But the, the fact is we've needed at least three good centre-halves for a while. You know, the problem in the early part of the season was we didn't have enough centre-halves. So I don't see the need necessarily to write somebody off just because somebody else has come in, if that makes sense. Of course, I think that's very sensible. You know? So I think there's room... It looks to me that that Gabriel can play with Mertesacker and he can play with Koscielny. And I think that is... That's a positive thing. Um, I think we've got a, a lot of games to play. Some of the problems that we had this season were down to fatigue, not being able to rest Kisielny, uh sufficiently, so his injury became chronic. You know, let's not throw the, the baby out with the bathwater here. Um, we've got to keep all those three guys fit and playing, and um, whatever combinations that we can put out on the field that, that work, all the better. Cool. Well, I would be inclined to agree. I do think you're right about that. When someone new comes in, the kind of novelty factor makes us sometimes keen to sell all the other players. Yeah, I, I believe that it's an actual element in, you know, in, in, in the universe. Right. It's called ospenium. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's not go there for now. So, um, is it my turn? Uh, yes. Okay, well, this question comes from uh, Jamie and his... Twitter handle is Miles of Fails. And as background to this, I don't know if you saw, but the Sunday Times, I think it was, ran a piece saying Manchester City were interested in Jack Wilshire. And he asks, do you think £25 million for Wilshire would be accepted? Mm, really good question. I'm not, I'm not sure that it would be this summer. Right, but if Jack were to have another season like this one, where he doesn't quite progress as well as he should as a player, where injuries hamper him yet again, I don't think we can overlook the fact that he's been out injured for a long time, um, not through any fault of his own this time around. Uh, you know, the tackle that that did him in in November was a pretty bad one, so I've sympathy for him from that point of view. But it becomes a situation like. I, maybe it's a bit extreme to compare him to Diaby, but in the sense that at some point you have to move on. You have to, 
you can't let a guy who hardly plays keep a, a place in your squad and an important place in your squad, which I think we did with Diaby for a couple of seasons too long in that the manager really wanted him to to come back and wanted to keep a place for him in the squad. But in the end, he realized that it was counterproductive, that we were to, we were left short in midfield. Took him a long time to get there, though. It did. And, you know, you can criticize him for that if you want. I've got no real issue with, with the way that Arsenal have treated Diaby. I think it's been the right way to do it, to give the guy every chance to, to have a career uh, and I think that career will, will come to a close this summer. But I think with Wilshire, what will happen is they'll give it one more year. And I think if the stasis that he's in at the moment remains, then I think they'd be open to it. I mean, how old is he now, though, Wilshire? I don't know. I mean, the sound you're going to hear is me Googling this. Right. I think he must be 24, 24 23. 23. 23. So, yeah, when's he turned 24. And uh, not till next year, January first. Right. His so I think, I think there's still time to give Wilshire the chance to get an injury-free season under his belt, to try and realise the potential that he has as a player. Um, but if it doesn't happen, then I think they they have to start thinking about him in the long term and whether or not a, a big offer from somewhere might be in the best interests of the club and perhaps the player because the money could be reinvested in somebody who is going to play week in, week out. And, yeah, is is he going to play week in, week out at Arsenal even if he is fit? That's the interesting thing. Mm. I mean, I am inclined to agree. You know, I was asked to write about this for somebody and I said, well, no, they shouldn't sell him this summer. I think maybe next summer it would be something to consider if if he's in a similar position. However, I do remember having a conversation having lots of conversations around a year ago saying what a big season this was for Jack. Mm. And, you know, he he hasn't delivered. And I know a lot of that is due to injury, but you think back to the start of the season, Arsene Wenger was desperate to get him in the 11, wasn't he? He changed the whole shape of the midfield yeah. to fit Wilshire in alongside Ramsey. So it's clear he was a massive part of the plans and it hasn't worked out for him at all. I think that show of faith from Wenger means that Wilshire is likely to be retained. Um but I do think if someone's come down and put down twenty five to thirty million pounds, it's an awful lot of money for a player who who doesn't offer that much in terms of actually being available to play. Yeah, <laughs> but I think what they do this summer though is they'd look at that perhaps not as the return maybe wouldn't be as good. You know, the money that or the, the the time they've spent with Jack Wilshire you know, developing, developing him. him. Yeah, that's the exact word I was looking for. The time they spent on that, they'll want to give it another go. But I do think that in another 12 months, if we're in the same position, then, yeah, they, they'd be a bit more ruthless about it. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, is it my turn? I think so. Okay. Um, bum, bum, bum. There's only two of us. It's amazing how we, we never know whose turn it is. I know, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, okay, this one comes from uh, Eliza, at Eliza. And she wants to know, who would you want Arsenal to sign from each of the top six Premier League clubs? And oh, that's, that's one player from each team. Oh, okay. And and is is my incentive primarily to strengthen us or weaken them? I guess a bit of both. You Look, you, you, you've got carte blanche here. Free reign to do what you want. This is all imaginary, so... 
Okay. I'll start at the bottom, shall I? Work my way up. Yeah. Uh, Taking into account that we're in the top six, I guess, so you're only looking at five. Okay. So number six is Southampton, Mm -hmm. I think I'm right in saying. And I think I'd go with the trend and go Morgan Schneidlin. Um, I do think we still need another holding midfielder. I don't see Arteta or Flamini being able to make a massive contribution next season. Yeah. So I think someone else who could come in and rotate with Cochrane would make a lot of sense and he seems uh, the obvious choice. Would you who would let's do it club by club. Who would you go for from Southampton? Um there's a good question. I would be perhaps tempted by the goalkeeper. Fraser Forster, yeah, I think. Or Foster mm. or Forster, I never know. Forster, For- Foster, Forster, yeah. Um, he's had a good season, actually. He has. I think he's knackered now, though. He's done his knee or something. Um, but, you know, I, I think the debate over our goalkeeping issue is one I'm not really going to get into here because it's uh, it's quite polarising. Um, the, the There are fans on either side. But maybe the, the bigger question is, can we improve on both of them? Um, and, and he could be that guy, perhaps. So may I'd be tempted by him. I'm not sure who else there is that I really like. I like the the other guy, the the double-barreled fella. Ward Prowse. Yeah. And I he think can take a corner, mm, imagine. Yeah, maybe we should just bring him on as our corner kicker. <laughs> you know, no, I, yeah, he looks like a, a decent player as well. So, yeah, that would be mine. Cool. I think they've got a lot of good players. So Liverpool are up next. Liverpool. Hmm. Um, oh, they've got some good players. I do like Daniel Sturridge, I have to say. I think he is a hell of a finisher. Um, Sturridge yeah. for Welbeck swap? Yeah, maybe. Or just confine Welbeck to his little prison on the wings and have Welbeck as a, a centre-forward option. Mm. Um, who else is there? There were some stories about Raheem Sterling, weren't there, last yeah, week? Yeah, a bit of a that. Walcott swap rooney I'd be up for that. Definitely. <laughs> you'd, you'd swap Walcott for Sturridge, or for, uh, for Sterling? For Sterling, I would, yeah. Yeah. I think Sterling's a better footballer than Walcott. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jordan Henderson's actually playing pretty well these days for them. I quite like him in midfield. Let's go for... Yeah, I'll have Daniel Sturridge. I just think he's a really good finisher, and I think he's a different kind of striker to Giroud. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd take him. Okay. I think I'd go for uh, Brad Jones. <laughs> Are you just going to pick a goalkeeper from every no, club? No, 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 I'm joking, clearly. Um, yeah, I think I'd be tempted by, by Sterling. I like Coutinho. He's a good player, but we kind of have a number of them. You know, We've got loads of those. We've yeah. got loads of Coutinho's. Um, and I'm just looking at the squad. Jordan Henderson, meh. You know. They uh, haven't got any good defenders, so you can write that off. Yeah, though, I was just looking at the defenders there. It was like, Sacco, no. Lovren, no. Glenn Sacco Johnson. Sacco looks like he can't even play football at times. It's extraordinary. And then does something quite skillful, and you go, yeah, oh, Yeah, it's really shit. weird. How it's did he really do that? deceptive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll have Sterling. All right, well, I approve of that choice. Manchester United, now this is why I think you've gone wrong with Fraser Forster. I'm having David De Gea. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Hmm, yeah, that's... um, That's the goalkeeper problem pretty much solved. Yes, it is. Um, Let me have a look. I would take Van Persie. Oh. (laughs) And what would you do with him? Uh, I wouldn't let him play football. Sure. (laughs) 
Sure, that'd be bottom of the list. Yes, there would be many other things, uh, which I don't want to talk about on air in case any of those things ever happen to him and it comes back to me. Somebody is saying, well, I heard them talking about that and look. <laughs> It'd be horrible for this podcast to be used in evidence against you. Yeah, I'm just, I just want people to, you know, um, picture the, the movie Seven. <laughs> okay. What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> right, um, we're moving on. Moving on. Uh, well, it's us next, so skip that. I don't want any of them. No, they're Ma- useless. <laughs> uh, Manchester City. Oh. Well, I mean, you know, if if you're into torture, there's lots of options there. I've taken Sturridge, so has that ruled Aguero out? Probably. Mm. They've got some... What have they got? Oh, well, I'd probably have Yaya Torre, you know. Do you think so? He's quite I know that he's now. on the way out. But the mm. Torres have a great legacy at Arsenal. And I think he's got he's got one more year in him if you use him correctly. One I last just, hurrah. Exactly, yeah. I, I, I mean, I know it's a bit of an unimaginative choice, but I think that in a midfield three, if you had Coquelin doing all the work, if you released him to play a bit higher up the field, Torre could still do a lot of damage. Mm. Who else is there? Well, I there's mean, Aguero, guess- obviously, but I would I would just have so much fear about Aguero's hamstrings and our training pitches and I mean I think he would die yeah yeah he would (laughs) he would be the first high profile player to die from from a hamstring hamstring. yeah yeah Um, who else David Silva's a good player he is but we've got loads of those got loads of those exactly we don't really need any of those Mm. we're well stocked for those if we didn't have Bellerin coming through, you might look at Zabaleta, who's um very, very good right back. But I think I might take Kolarov, simply from the point of view that if I ever wanted to start a, a money-lending operation, that he would be the perfect henchman, the perfect muscle. Because you could go around with Kolarov. He's like the biggest guy. I've, I saw him at the Man City game this season. And he's just like, holy shit, that guy's huge. Just all muscle and sinister looking and all kinds. So yeah, he would be my choice for for uh, for a career in loan sharkery. Okay, and also the good thing is, and he's not use, a bad left back as well. You could make Van Persie be the wall for his free kick practice as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chelsea. Oh, we've got to have someone from Chelsea, dear dear. Oh. Hmm. I, I think I know who you you'll choose. I think you 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 might have Branislav Ivanovic. Yeah, yeah, I like you, him. You've got secret love for Branislav. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd yeah, I'd have him. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who are the other options? I mean, the number four is pretty good. He's all right. Yeah, I just wonder about his ability to keep things going in the second half of the season. You know. Fair point. Fair point. He does seem to fade away. Yeah. Eden Hazard. It would be hard to reject Eden Hazard if he were available to you, wouldn't it? He's such a good player. I think I would take Eden Hazard because mm. I think he's a little bit different from the kind of the ones the we've David got. Silvers, Swan Matters. Yeah, that's it. He's a bit more direct, but he could still play in that front three. Uh, you know, you could have Hazard on one flank, mm. Alexis on the other, and then Giroud or Sturridge through the middle. Yeah, I'd go. For, I'd go for that. The other one you could take. Is um, the twenty six? 
What's really? in the box? <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, yeah. Mm, all right. Well, there you go. I think we've, we've, uh, we've pretty much decimated the other teams and made ourselves stronger and, um, and had some hilarious moments in that too. Let's hope Arson and Dick are listening. That's the transfer summer plans. Absolutely. Sorted. All right, I've got one final question for you. Okay. And this comes from Carl, who is at that underscore London underscore guy. Lots of underscores. I can't hear the name Carl without thinking of Carl from The Simpsons, you know? Yeah, yeah. Homer's assistant. He was great. <laughs> but anyway, he says, what he wants to know, would you rather be able to lay your own eggs... Or be able to talk to cats. Ask me again. <laughs> would you would you rather be able to lay your own eggs or talk to cats? What comes out the eggs? <laughs> Egg stuff, I guess. Like I, oh, I, I see eggs I can eat. It's not like they're my children. No. No. Right, well, okay. I, well, they could be. They could be like those um those duck eggs that you get, you know, um, what's it called? Balut. Oh, God, yeah. Which is pretty disgusting. I actually have a story about this. Um, I saw, uh, when we were in the, uh, the, the local Asian market and randomly picked up some eggs along some of the other stuff that we were, uh, that we were uh, shopping for, you know, the noodles and everything else that you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, came back in quite drunk one night and decided that um, some eggs and uh, and uh, bacon would be a good thing to have to eat at one o'clock in the morning. So I cooked up the bacon, just do an egg each, crack the egg, and out f- flopped this like duck fetus <laughs> into the frying pan. Oh, God. It was quite disgusting. That's unsettling. It really is. So I don't know, you know, if you could get the image of little James's being cracked into frying pans. Well, I think we've all got it now. Yeah. In their little um, baby tracksuits. I mean, I can't... The, the eggs, I'm, I'm not that interested. A, I don't really like eggs that much, to be honest. Right. I'm not fussed about them. Sometimes I'll have a breakfast, cook breakfast, and I'll be like, forget the eggs, guys. You're wasting your time. Just bring me more sausages. Yeah. Um, also, I, I'm worried about the process of laying them. Would it hurt? Yeah. I, I don't know. I've never asked a chicken but when you look at the size of a chicken and the size of an egg something doesn't add up yeah well well i mean the shells are soft when they come out you know they're not hard they oh, harden really? in the air yeah oh that does make more sense <laughs> yeah. i genuinely didn't know that um i've never worked in close proximity with chickens yeah. um i i mean if, if they weren't imagine the noise of a of a a regular chicken farm because it would just be a load of chickens going, ah, fuck it out! This really hurts! Exactly. You know, hun- Imagine the noise of, of me. Yeah. I-, I would go for the cat thing, because, you know, I-, I like cats, for one. They're quite mysterious creatures, aren't they? They're always disappearing. Mm. You never know where. Mm. You can attach a camera to them, but that just seems cruel. So, yeah, being able to chat with them, see what's going on. You could use one as a spy. It could get to vantage points. I'd have a little cat chat instead. Mm. Would that mean that the cat can speak English or you speak cat? I wonder. I think me speak cat because if it speaks English, it could talk to any Tom, Dick or Harry, couldn't it? But yeah. if it's just me and the cat, we've got our own lingo. Good Maybe point. a handshake as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Good keep point. It, keep it quiet. Keep mm. it on the down low. Have you got a preference? Oh, definitely the cat thing. Yeah. 
There's no way I would be able to eat anything I laid myself. <laughs> Just, I think that's I think that's a reasonable perspective yeah. to have. Yeah, it's amazing that we took about four minutes to do <laughs> to right, get okay. to that point when yeah. it's quite simple. How could you possibly just no, no, unless they were fully wrapped Cadbury's cream eggs, then then I might consider the egg thing. But apart from that, yeah, I'd rather I just hang out and. Stick around Cat Town, see what's going down, Catsville. Top you know, Cat. Top Cat, yeah. All of that. Brilliant. So there you go, Carl. Now you know. Yep. All right. Um, well, I'm off to not lay any eggs. Um, and we will chat on the next Arscast Extra, which is next Monday, which is right slap bang in the middle of an interlull. So hopefully some stuff will happen between now yeah. and then. Oh, by the way, we always forget to say, if you're enjoying the podcast, review it. Yeah, on iTunes and stuff. I don't really know how you do it, if I'm honest. You just go to iTunes and uh, search for it, and then you write a review. I think you got to sign in with your Apple account or something, but yeah, you can do that'd it be- on Stitcher as well. That'd be good. If you're not enjoying it, obviously don't. Yeah, that would, we'd prefer if you didn't. But if you're, not, if you're not enjoying why, it... Yeah. Why are you listening at this point? If exactly. you're not enjoying it, you definitely turned off during the egg cat thing. Yeah. For sure. I, th- I think that's an audience killer. Yeah. Definitely. But the other thing you could do as well is is uh, tell your friends, your family, people who don't yet enjoy the Arsecast, but would if they knew about it. So exactly. spread the word. All right, we'll talk to you uh, on the next one then. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 